0: podcast world. Welcome to another episode of The Value with your host, Kevin Valley. Today's episode, we're going to speak about Web3 for business with Mr. Jay Harris. Jay Harris is the founder of the Web3 Podcast Network, and this network produces audio shows to educate and encourage Web3 communities. Now, a very sharp businessman, Jay describes himself as an artist who uses podcasts as a medium for sharing his creativity with the world. He's also an engaging public speaker who is able to connect with the needs of his audience to inspire performance, collaboration, and most importantly, change. Many of Jay's listeners actually credit him with providing the motivation they needed to launch their own Web3 project. So I hope you're so motivated and inspired by this episode. In the corporate world, Jay is known as a creative thinker, it's a proven track record of designing robust technology solutions for complex business problems. His passion for lifelong learning drives his problem-solving ability. And these two attributes are his most powerful assets. So in this episode, we're going to talk about Web3, the Metaverse, and everything that is involved with it. Cryptocurrencies such as blockchain, Ethereum, and other alternative points for all coins going to talk about decentralized finance or as also known as DeFi and of course everybody's favorite NFTs. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. I think I learned a lot while speaking to Jay and I'm also going to have to study up a little bit more but yeah I think it's a great introduction and with that I'm going to pass you over to Jay Harris. All right, so today we're talking to Mr. Jay Harris, a native of St. Kitts. You know, it's the first time we're having um, somebody from St. Kitts on the show. You know, somebody was asking me yesterday, Jay, is it that we call them, what was it? Um, St. Kittish, or is it St. Kittish, or is it Kittish? And I, I'm like, well, it's Kittish, but now you're confusing me. So,
1: Kittish, <laughs> <laughs> Kittish, for sure. And what do you call the folks from Nevis? Nevision.
0: Ah, boom. Okay, nice, nice. All right, so Jay Harris, he also goes by Podmaster Jay. The the gentleman actually hosts three podcasts at the same time. Crazy. (laughs) All of them around technology and this new Web3 movement, which you want to talk about today. So you got the Digital Leaders podcast, the Web3 History podcast, the World Tech Forum. So can you tell us, like, how do you, what's the genesis behind, first of all, your Web3 journey? Because I understand it's fairly recent, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah, how did you get into Web3? What drove you to start these
1: individual podcasts and why three different podcasts? Oh, for sure. Well, thanks for having me on the show, Kevin. Definitely appreciate being here and having the opportunity to speak to your audience. So uh, my background is in IT and tech. I was the guy who crawled onto your desk and connected the wires and then did that, <laughs> that, that, that kind of stuff. So I heard about blockchain back then, maybe back in 2014 or so, maybe a little earlier. And I thought it was something that I could use in what I was doing in my daily job, but it wasn't well baked out back then, but I stayed paying attention to it. Luckily enough, there was a gentleman by the name of Roger Veer, who is the person behind Bitcoin Cash, which is one of the major cryptocurrencies. He ended up becoming a citizen by investment in St. Kitts, and he had a raffle. That where he was raffling off some Bitcoin Cash. And I I won that raffle. And that was my opportunity to sort of really get into it, be able to understand what was going on. And that happened, I think, maybe back in 2016, maybe 2017. Cool. I had my Bitcoin Cash, started trading it, started playing around, started listening to some other people who were doing podcasting, started reading up about it. The markets were sort of going up and down. And after a while, I stopped paying attention to it. But Coming out of my MBA, I realized that I needed to meet a few more people and expand my network. And that's how I ended up getting into podcasting, using podcasts as the avenue for making those connections and building some relationships. It so happened that I got a few people on the podcast who were into Web3 and who were some of the early adopters of crypto. And those episodes did really well. It turns out that, you know, my audience was really into those episodes and that was sort of the catalyst for me to continue down that path. And like you're saying, one podcast turned into two, turned into three, and now it's a whole network and the whole thing is going. Sweet. Yeah. You know, with this podcast, just recently, I think maybe
0: last week, I put out a post on LinkedIn and you and I weren't connected yet. I think you are a second degree connection. And I made a post saying, okay, I'm thinking about the topics I want to speak on or interview guests on for the next season of the show. And on that, I was surprised at how many responses I got. I was really piqued by your response. Like, hey, I want to hear about Web3 and everything. I'm a big fan of the show. I've been listening for a while. I said, okay, all right. Well, you know, I don't, I personally, and I'm going to tell the audience right now, I am not your Web3 expert. You know, sometimes I talk about topics I know. Sometimes I'm just like, hey, I'm here to learn alongside with you. So then I looked into Jay's profile. I saw Jay's, has a whole web three podcast network. I said, oh, okay, I see what he did. I see what he did. Clever here. So, all right, let's interview <laughs> it. You know, let me mean it's right in front of you. Let, let's do it. Let's talk to him about it. So I, I listened to some of his shows and everything. And yeah, I, I really find, especially from our initial conversation, that you have a way of making it seem really accessible for folks who do, who aren't really too into it, who aren't much into it in terms of the jargon and everything. And I... Always find that, you know, somebody who's a true, and I dare to use the word expert in a field, if they're mm-hmm. able to explain it in a way that other people understand. Explain it in simple English, layman's English. I appreciate that about you. So, all right, let's get into this now. I start to hold my head already. All right. Now, you could correct me if I'm wrong. I'm just going based on my understanding, my memory, and a little bit of my reading. Would you say that this all started with cryptocurrency slash blockchain?
1: Yeah, blockchain was definitely the catalyst and Satoshi Nakamoto, might be saying that last name wrong. But sorry, say I would. Satoshi is the guy who wrote the original blockchain white paper, the original Bitcoin white paper and got the entire movement going. And so everything that we're doing right now in terms of Crypto, NFTs, Web3 is all built on that original foundation.
0: Okay. So, blockchain is the platform and crypto is essentially an asset class now. Correct? Yes. That's correct. All right. So, it's an asset class and it's also cryptocurrency is also supposed to be a currency, right? And I mean, I know you and I were speaking about this before because, and part of my, the confliction that goes on in my head, right? I wasn't the A-plus economic students, but I do, rem- I do remember, you know, the functions of money, right? It's supposed to be a medium of exchange and it's supposed to be a measure of value, store of value. So it must maintain some level of purchasing power over time. So it shouldn't be that a dollar today is worth two cents next week, mm-hmm. right? It should be a basis of credit. So I should be able to lend you some money now. And when you pay me back in six months, it should be like, okay, I don't, when you give me back the same amount of money, it's just like, okay, this is worthless, right? Yeah, it should be a unit of account. So when you're doing your income statement or your balance sheet or whatever, it, sh- it should be like, okay, you made $1,000 this month, $1,000, $1,000, $1,000. And it should be a standard of postponed payment. So think about your higher purchases or whatnot. But going back to that store of value, most importantly, purchasing power, right? Mm-hmm. This is where the sort of dichotomy in my head goes on where I'm thinking is blockchain, so not blockchain, sorry, is cryptocurrency, an asset, or is it a currency, or is it more so a speculative investment because of how volatile it is? Right. So, in other words, is like you buy a crypto for one price today, and the next day it could be something completely different, and the next week something completely different. So, how would you look at that as an investment or as a
1: currency? Yeah. So, crypto can be all of the above when it comes to how you classify these types of currencies in terms of the different aspects and features that you just mentioned, a lot of that just comes down to what society is willing to accept, right? You know, we accept that the goal is a store of value. And by accepting that, then that allows us to manipulate its price in such a way that it maintains that store of value. And that happens with some forms of cryptocurrencies and not so much with with others. And so, It's important to not think of them all as the same thing, but each coin, each token has its own features and values that allow it to work in a different way. Okay. All right. And before we get into
0: the NFTs and stuff yeah, I want to talk about the coin just a little bit. So how would you advise, let's not say advice, but how would you say an investor should look at getting started in one, investing in crypto and in two, just billing their wallet?
1: of crypto as a currency, you know, how would you advise somebody to best get started safely? For sure. It starts with education, right? So just like getting into the financial markets, like if you were going to invest in stocks or bonds or what have you, you'd have to take some time to really understand what's happening. Figure out which are the top stocks that are right for you. What's your level of risk? Where can you invest safely and who are the right persons to invest with? It's the same thing on the crypto side. It's absolutely no different in most cases. So you have to do your education, do your due diligence. There's something that we say in the Web3 community all the time. It's sort of like a part of our our mantra is do your own research. Mm -hmm. People share information online, on Twitter, on LinkedIn, in podcast all the time. But you sort of have to take that stuff with a grain of salt and go back and research it on your own to make sure that it's accurate. It's the right information for you yeah and i mean i guess
0: in the investment world as well they always say you know buyer beware there's always these disclaimers that you do your own research and whatnot you're right okay so in that vein you can look at it as your own investment as just as you look at other investments and just noting that okay um the market for that may not be as i don't want to say efficient because it might be efficient because a lot of people are buying and selling it, but the market for that may not be as big maybe as the market for stocks and bonds are right now where you know there's, there's so many research analysts covering it, there's so much information being published, the brokers and everything, and then regulation. Yeah. Right? So that might be one of the fundamental differences. So how do you protect yourself as an investor in a market where, in a deregulated market, because in the stock market and the bond trading market, you have this regulation just to make sure that, hey, folks are losing their shirt because they were tricked by companies or the stewards of capital or whatnot? Or would you look at this deregulation in terms of mitigating that risk for investors?
1: Regulation is coming. So we did start off completely unregulated. It was the wild, wild west for a long time, but I'd say governments and regulators are catching on. So in the European Union, they recently outlawed anonymous crypto trading. You have to know who the person is, you know, the same KYC, anti-money laundering rules that apply to regular financial markets still apply to cryptocurrency, at least in the European Union. And then, you know, once the EU does something, everyone else just sort of follows on. There are a couple of ways that you can sort of get into it. You can trade as an individual, you know, like I do, and you just sort of do your own due diligence and your own day trading, get into the market and get out of it when you think it's the right time for you. Or if you don't feel as comfortable doing that type of trading, there are ETFs, um, so elect- electronically traded funds. Oh, wow.
0: With, with <laughs> I thought of it was exchange traded funds. Okay, cool. All right. Oh, uh, I, no, true, true. You're, you're probably right. On, on oh, I, no, I thought I thought the Web3 world had their own ETF. That's why I was laughing.
1: <laughs> oh, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. All right, go on. Yeah, so you can get ETFs through some of the larger investment companies and you can trade that way just like you would do with like your retirement fund that allows for you to maybe put off some of that risk onto these companies that that you might you may trust as opposed to having to do it on your own
0: okay now that regulation is coming does that make it less attractive or less sexy
1: for those who I mean for those I guess the early adopters of crypto in some cases, they're like the maximalists, the people who were around and the early adopters who are around from the very beginning who don't like the regulation. One of the original promises of Bitcoin was that there be no government intervention. But as a community, we've quickly realized that that's not the case. It, it really doesn't make any sense for you to have something that's completely unregulated. If stuff goes wrong, then who do you go to? Who can you turn to? Because right? Thanks, exactly. sorry, sorry,
0: sorry. I just need to say that.
1: Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. No, okay. yeah. For the people who are around initially, I think they're still against regulation. But uh, I think the majority of the community is comfortable with the idea that there needs to be some amount of regulation to keep it safe and to make sure that people are acting and trading fairly.
0: Really quickly, I just want to sort of delineate the definitions of because you know we have a bunch of terms going on right so the blockchain mm-hmm. there's ethereum so like can you just i know the experts in you probably like oh my god you're serious with this question <laughs> but i've just know i'm thinking about the think about the bank who's been in it for about you know 20 years or so you know somebody think about the person who might be a little closed off just because of that lack of knowledge and education thinking, okay, was what, what this, the blockchain, Ethereum? What is it, What you know? So like, what is, what is the blockchain? What is Ethereum? Is Ethereum something different? Is it compact? So like, what are we
1: doing here? For sure, it's a great question. The last stat I heard is only about 4% of the world is actually using cryptocurrency at the moment. So we're growing, but there's still a lot of people, still billions of people who still don't know a ton about it and and need to have this education and this information. So, blockchain is the foundational code, uh, like the programming that this whole thing is built on. And the reason why it's called a blockchain is because you can think of the information that's being transferred. Uh, The information about these assets is stored in what we call blocks, Uh, just segments of, of code that group together. And then each of these segments, can be connected in a chain so that the current block is always connected to the previous blocks. And in that way, it's really difficult for somebody to manipulate the information because you have all of the back history of all of the information that had been added into these transactions. And so that's why it's called a chain of blocks or a blockchain. And then on top of that blockchain, infrastructure, that platform that we can then use to build things. There were currencies. So Bitcoin was the original cryptocurrency and its main competitor at the moment is Ethereum. Ethereum is created by a, a Canadian. So I'm here in Canada, Canadian Vitalik Buterin. And the difference between, and so earlier we were talking about you know, each currency having its own features and attributes that separate them from each other. Yeah. And so you can think of Bitcoin as being something that's really basic. It was really meant to function like cash, like money, like okay, I give you some, you give me some, and we can trade back okay. and forth. Ethereum is a bit more complex where it has some additional coding capabilities where you can do things like smart contracts so yes i can give you some ethereum you can give me some and we can trade back and forth like it was cash but we can add some programming on top of that that says something like if you do x by this date Mm -hmm. my bitcoin will automatically go into your wallet okay so oh so i mean
0: Only financial news are yelling. Options. Okay, cool. Cool, mm-hmm. cool. All right. That is that's pretty cool. Um, and I guess Bitcoin was created as to, as the pioneer, you know, mm-hmm. and then Ethereum sold Bitcoin. They say, okay, let's let's arm this up. And I believe it's from Ethereum that NFTs, non-fungible tokens, were created. But before we get to NFTs, I keep I keep delaying this NFT. I know the NFT. And sure. you do the NFT after because I want to get how businesses can capitalize on it. And I want to tie in the Metaverse, right? So, nice. yeah. So many Facebook audiences, you know, typically our family, or you know, our uncles, or elder brothers who, you know, in the early fifties or whatnot, if they listen. Eh? Um, <laughs> right. So Facebook, you know, full of um, full of of that audience, right? Your cousin and all these people. But recently, they did a rebranding or name change to Metaverse, right? And Metaverse is supposed to be this alternate reality or this virtual reality space mm-hmm. of something right and within the metaverse you know they, that creates a whole lot of other opportunities for businesses and uh, this is where i'm going to pass the ball to you because <laughs> i don't know how that works
1: <laughs> for sure so the metaverse is in that Web3 family, it's not necessarily connected with blockchain and crypto and what we have going on there, except for the fact that as a society, we've decided that the currency that we will use inside of the Metaverse will be crypto. Uh, That's just a a decision that we made, right? You know, socially. But the Metaverse exists as like a virtual reality or augmented reality environment where you can come together in communities outside of your real life and and sort of live in in that community. There are examples of this that exist outside of the virtual reality and augmented reality space. So anyone who's listening to your show who's a parent of like a teenager, Mm -hmm. that teenager or, or, you know, even a bit younger is probably familiar with Roblox, which is a game a smartphone game that young people play and you can go into these different worlds and you can have experiences in in, in these different worlds, experiences with with different people who are playing. And it's really sort of like an encapsulated world where you can earn money, you can perform different tasks, you can build homes and, and so forth, just like you would imagine that you can do in the real world. And some people who are a little older might be familiar with Second Life, and there, there were other games like that, that where you enter these worlds, and it's very much like real life, but it's all virtualized in a game. And so, what we've done is taken that level of gaming and that level of virtual experience, and taken it to the next level in the metaverse, where uh, now it's all in three D virtual reality, or at least it's supposed to eventually get to that space. And so, that's what meta formerly Facebook is doing with their Oculus That's headset. It. Okay,
0: cool. Yeah. Oh, cool, cool. Okay. So, when how does that? I guess everything that we just discussed in terms of Ethereum, blockchain, um, even Bitcoin to an extent, and Meta. How would you
1: say that you know businesses can capitalize on that? It's going to be super important because, uh, you know, businesses follow what the consumer wants, right? And I think one of the things that's happening right now is consumers are saying, we want to have more ownership in the brands that we use. So it was in the past, it was sort of fine to, for a brand to advertise to a consumer. And the consumer is just sort of, they are attracted to the brand name and the brand colors and maybe some of the people who come in as ambassadors. And that was sort of enough, like if you had Michael Jordan in your commercial, maybe that was enough for me to say, OK, that's a good brand. But now I want to have a bit more control over what you're doing. And the example that I use is is Gerber, the baby food company. Mm-hmm. And, and not to you know, speak negatively about Gerber. So if anyone is listening and work, work for Gerber, uh, <laughs> don't don't take it personally. But every so often you hear these stories about people finding Glass and other material in their baby food, What's and you know, and that's not not a good thing at all because you, you're feeding this to, to infants. But unfortunately, Gerber has been unable to sort of get past this whole thing in in terms of being able to make their food as safe as possible. But you would think that hopefully it wouldn't be the case that if the people, if parents who are buying these food from Gerber, if they had more of an ownership in the brand, that were the case, then Gerber would feel more obligated to deliver goods in the right way, because not only were these people their consumers, but they were also their owners. And so that's really what's happening with Web3 in this space, is that companies are using this technology, blockchain, NFTs, and the metaverse to give consumers more ownership rights over the brands that they use and they love and, and the products that they enjoy. Cool,
0: cool, cool. So, I mean, so other than, you know, the ownership of the brands, I mean, in listening to your podcasts, and this might be more in the NFT sphere, I understand that a lot of folks have been able to use the Web3 platforms or the tools or whatnot to actually, you know, to grow their business or to build their business on, or, or to build communities around their business or mm-hmm. partnerships
1: and stuff. You know, you could just go through one example, maybe. Of a company who's using it for partnerships? Yeah. Yeah. uh, The one that recently came out that I think a lot of people are going to be able to to connect with is Starbucks, the coffee company. They recently announced that they'll be creating an, an NFT. And I think it works really well for Starbucks because they have this community of people who are sort of like diehards. They only drink Starbucks and they don't even necessarily think of it as coffee. They just think of it as Starbucks. And so if you have this Starbucks NFT, it's very similar to the way that you may think of a loyalty card. card, Yes. Yeah. Okay. So you buy the NFT, whatever the NFT costs, let's say the NFT costs $1,000 because people, if you really love Starbucks, maybe you'd spend $1,000 on a Starbucks NFT. You then get access to these, maybe like a secret menu that other people don't have access to. You can show up for Starbucks events and do different things that allow for you to have a bit more of an ownership over that brand and connect with the brand in ways that regular consumers can't connect. And then okay. you, can think, you can think of that working not only for companies, but maybe for musicians as well, right? If you were a major artist, you sold an NFT, you sold your latest album as an NFT, everyone who bought it got a copy of the NFT. And that means when you did a concert in their city, they got access to a private after party with you. They got access to the listening party, uh, and that's because they were willing to spend a bit more money to get access to this NFT information and join your community.
0: All right, okay. I mean, I, I want to go, go deeper into NFTs with you, but first I just want to define NFTs just for anybody who's listening like NFT, what's this, i trying to rush to Google or whatever. So non-fungible tokens, that's as much as I know. Uh, <laughs> how, but how would you say they were created
1: and how are they traded and stuff? Yeah. So non-fungible talk, I think the, the important thing to understand there is the, the fungible part. So fungible just means that there's no difference between one and the other. So think of like, if you have a dollar bill and I have a dollar bill, there's no real difference between my dollar bill and your dollar bill. Right. But NFTs are non-fungible, which means if you have an NFT and I have an NFT, there's a clear distinct difference between the two NFTs that we have. And so these were created as a way of really identifying specific forms of ownership. And the way that I like to describe it is if anyone in your audience has has ever purchased like a really expensive vehicle. So the idea behind purchasing a really expensive vehicle, is not that you own the vehicle. Like if you buy a Lamborghini, it's not so that you can drive the Lamborghini. It's so that you can be a part of the Lamborghini club because all of the people in the Lamborghini club are able to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions of dollars to buy a car. And you now have access to these people. In fact, when you buy a Lamborghini, you get access to a specific smartphone app that gives you alerts when these people are meeting together and so that you can join those meetups and you know rub shoulders with other affluent persons. NFTs work in the same way in that if you have the NFT, you have access to that club of people who also have the same values as you do. It doesn't necessarily have to be in terms of the amount of money that you have, although those cases do exist. So. Crypto punks and Board API Club, these ones that, these NFT tokens that cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah, the differentiating factor there is that everyone who owns one of those is really affluent. You may have NFTs that are around uh, social issues like social justice or women's issues or sustainability or diversity. So if you own one of these NFTs, you're in that club of people who have the same value as you do.
0: Okay. All right. So wow okay so nft is like a one-time subscription fee maybe yes yeah oh, okay is that like a be all and end all so is that the oh is that the only or is that like the primary way nfts are used or are there other ways nfts are used
1: for the most part that the way that it's being used right now is to be in a club but the okay. because of of uh Oh, NFTs are, are based on on smart contracts, so there are other ways that they could be used. For instance, one person that I interviewed on my podcast was using NFTs as a way for wine. of what's that for the um, rare wine bottles. Okay. Yes, exactly. They were using NFTs as a way of selling uh, rare bottles of alcohol, so wine and and spirits. Uh, you can also use NFTs to sell to tokenize assets. So people are using it for real estate as well. So like if you've got a home, let's say you've got a home in Trinidad, Mm -hmm. generally the only people who have access to buying that home are people who are in Trinidad because you actually have to be there locally to see the house and to be able to perform the transaction. But if you instead took that home and tokenized it and did it as an NFT, suddenly. The entire world now has access to this nft. You don't have you're not necessarily having to go ahead and do all of the local Trinidadian paperwork right. to buy the house. you just need to buy the nft. and because it's all connected in in the smart contract, you automatically own the home. so the smart contract
0: essentially just gives you rights to the asset and the asset being the home, just mm-hmm. like the asset was the bottle of wine or the asset might be membership to a club. Interesting. So I guess for, in a business sense, and maybe I'm just crafting this example as I think on it, if you're trying to sell something, right? Mm -hmm. And your market is only, uh, you're limited in in your reach, you're limited in your network or whatnot, you might tokenize that asset. So let's say I'm trying to sell a house. Let's go back with that example. I'm a private real estate person or multifamily, whatever, I'm trying to sell a house. So I am struggling to sell this house, I tokenize it. I turn it into an NFT. We'll talk about that process just now, and then I I go on an NFT exchange and say, okay, I have this house here in the Bahamas, mm-hmm. here for sale. Um, anybody interested? Here some pictures. Here the, and the rights for this is currently trading at or oh, I said the price of the of the right. I guess the price of the NFT, or the price of the
1: house that I want to sell it for. And sure. then what? Do so I auction it and let people bid up the NFT? Right, you can. Or you can take it the next step, instead of just selling it as one NFT, you fractionalize it. Mm. And so people can bid on percentages of the NFT. So you can own a percentage of the home. Like timeshares. Yeah.
0: Okay. Interesting. All right. What's the
1: I guess what's the process of tokenizing an asset? There are companies that will do it for you because it's all built into those smart contracts. So there's a bit of tech that's involved. And there's been some issues with that tech, because if your contract isn't written in the best way, there Mm -hmm. might be bad actors that come in and and hack your contract and and take your stuff. You've also seen some people sort of lose access to their NFTs because they clicked on the wrong link that, you know, Cause them to sign a different smart contract that really? gave the creator of the smart contract access to their wallet. And then that person took the stuff out of it. So I'd say the way of doing it is to really get a really good company who has a good track record of creating these types of smart contract to do it for you on your behalf. So I could click the wrong link and lose
0: my house? Possibly. Yeah. <laughs>
1: All right. Uh, Possibly. But well, <laughs> ju- just in the same way that you might be able to click the wrong link and lose access to your bank account, you know, because somebody hacks you based on going to the wrong website.
0: Okay. Okay. Um. You have any suggested websites that people could go to or that could that could link any show notes or so? If not, you can send it to me later and I could put that
1: yeah. in We. I can share some with you
0: afterwards. Yeah. All right. No problem. And, and that will be on the, on the show notes um, in the podcast website. Okay. So for businesses, again, the businesses could just use that to build a community or, around it. How do you use NFTs for partnerships, though? That's what I want to know. How do you use NFTs as a tool to generate
1: partnerships for your business? Partnerships in, in what way? What do you
0: mean? Because I, I think I was listening to your podcast today. And, I mean, we could scrap this out if this, this is a wrong example. But um, believe that the the podcast where you, where the gentleman had a business where he was um, preserving wildlife Mm-hmm. in different areas I don't know if he used a web uh if he used NFTs or if he used uh, I don't know if it was DAO or something like that to um to generate partnerships with I think it was the local hunters or some some of the uh, WW, the WWF sorry the Wild, right. World Wildlife Federation right so um, yeah to go ahead, to join him in his mission does this ring a bell or no or am I just did I listen wrong
1: no 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 yeah <laughs> absolutely so you're you're able to sort of take these NFTs and use it as a way of raising funds that you can then use in these social social engagements. And a lot of times it works because there'll be one side of the partnership that has the technical expertise and the other side of the partnership that has the social expertise. Mm -hmm. So like in the, the case you were referencing just now, with that company Project Act, they had the technical expertise to perform, to create these NFTs and these smart contracts. And the World Wildlife Fund had the social expertise to be able to go into these remote areas and have these conversations with the local people. So they both came together, put both of their resources together, created this NFT project that raised a whole ton of money that they then used to fund projects to. I think in that case, they were trying to reintegrate wild bison into Europe. So indigenous wild bisons that weren't doing so well, they were indigenous, they were able to reintegrate them, but also educate the local people so that instead of having the local people hunt them into extinction, like it happened before, they created a new industry around it where they were able to bring in tourists and have the local people act as, as guides okay. to have the tourists experience this new form of wildlife. So in that vein,
0: Web3 creates an employment for folks who the general business climate would have may not have reached. That's, yeah. that's pretty interesting. That's pretty interesting. So mm-hmm. how would you say that investors can capitalize on businesses that might be emerging or scaling? out of this Web3 movement?
1: i say that question one more time. I'm sorry.
0: So oh, would you say investors can capitalize on businesses that may be emerging and scaling out of Web3?
1: I think it, it works similar to the way that it works traditionally now, right? Like you can get a find a company really early before they, they sort of go public and investing them really early doing like seed funding, seed right. funding, uh, especially now, because technically we're in a beer market at the moment and there are lots of companies that need funding. You see, there was a massive layoff, rounds of layoffs in the crypto industry this week. And so there are lots of small companies that are looking for additional funding to sort of help them to get through this bear market. And so there are opportunities to invest that way. Or if that seems a little bit outside of your wheelhouse, the other thing that you can do is invest directly into the coins and the, the tokens, that these companies would have. The new thing that's happening right now that I think is really interesting, you touched on it a little while ago, are DAOs, Decentralized Autonomous Organizations. Yeah. And these are really interesting. Me personally, I think DAOs are the new LLCs. This is how people are going to think of business. And it's how a lot of people are going to actually earn income in the future. And so the way that a DAO works is it's sort of like a headless organization. It's a group of people who have similar values and want to see something being done. They come together, they pool some of their money together and they create a target and say, okay, we put together, everyone puts in you know, $1,000 and we suddenly we have $100,000. We're going to go ahead and buy the drilling rights for this small town. So this small town, is never going to drill any more oil again. And we're going to own those that oil right. And then what we'll do is we tokenize that oil and we sell those tokens back to some other sustainable company or some type of investment company that is able to use the oil as an asset rather than drilling it. So the oil becomes a sustainable asset rather than something that needs to come out of the ground. And that's all done through just a group of mothers and fathers, and just regular people deciding that we're going to do this on our own.
0: It sounds like the central theme behind all of this Web3 stuff is community. It's, yeah, you know, with Bitcoin, the um, Ethereum, especially the NFTs and, and the Meta and what you just described in the, the DAO, the D-A-O, Okay. It does sound strange. You know, you have no leader and everybody's, I mean, I, I don't know, there's human nature. I wonder about human nature. There's no leader and how are we going to,
1: you know, how do we make decisions? You know, is is it it's like well, a, we vote? Yeah, it is all based on vote and it's all based on smart contracts. So you may not be able to trust each other because we don't necessarily know who, we, who the other people are. You're separated by geographical boundaries. Everyone is all over the world, but you can trust in the tech. So you can trust that the contract is written in a way that allows for you to fulfill whatever the decisions that the community made as a whole. Okay. So uh, one way that I've seen Dow's work is, you know, you sure, you, everyone can come together, but you still need people to do the actual work. Like you need somebody to build the website. You need somebody to go out and talk to the investors and do that type of administrative type work. And those people deserve to be paid for their work, because I think that's how DAOs differentiate themselves from nonprofit organizations, because they're doing the same type of work. But the people who are doing the work in a DAO actually get paid. And the way that you get paid is you do the work. Someone verifies that the work was done. You automatically get paid through the smart contract, so there's no like person in the middle that's saying, you know, I don't think Kevin did a really good job there. Let's not pay Kevin. Yeah. As long as the work is done, and you know, you have a group of people that sign off that say, okay, the work has been completed, Kevin automatically gets paid through the the technology that that we have in place. So that's that's um somewhat frictionless.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, when you say that businesses now in this year, they should go ahead and. Look to tokenize as many of the assets as possible.
1: Definitely. This is one of the ones where you got to do your own research. You (laughs) You should try to figure out if the market for what you want to do is lucrative. If there are buyers out there who are willing to buy tokens of, of what you have to offer. Definitely, like I was saying, we're in a bit of a bear market at the moment. So some things are selling at a premium and some things may not be. So it's up to you to sort of figure out what is going to work for you in the era that we're in right now. But I say what everyone should start doing is figuring out what are the ways that you can incorporate this type of technology into the companies and businesses that you have, because financial markets move in cycles. We're down one year, we're up the next year. So it eventually is gonna come back and you can't wait until we're at the next peak to decide that it's time for me to get involved, because when we're at the peak, then all of the prices for all of the, the coders and the different things that you need, they're going to be premium prices. Right now, you can get everything cheap. So if you want to get in, I'd say get in now while it's cheap and then ride the wave as we go back up.
0: You know, funny, you talk about peaks and stuff. Um, In listening to your podcast, I, I heard an example of a company that tokenized a pair of socks. Yeah. <laughs> started off around ten to twelve dollars, and then you know five minutes later, I'm listening, I'm I'm hearing that these socks are trading for twelve dollars. Mm-hmm. Rights rights to the rights to these socks are trading at at, a, at over a thousand dollars. So, like, at what point do we say like, oh, are we are we being
1: realistic right now? Yeah, I that definitely happens a lot. In that case, there were no actual socks. It was there were no physical socks. It was just digital socks. You didn't get a physical pair of socks that you could actually put on your feet. It wasn't like these socks were the warmest socks or the most comfortable, comfortable socks right. in the world. It was just an image of some socks. And I think that speaks to the community, right? The community around that particular project. they were so engaged and they believed so much in the, the project that they were willing to spend thousands of dollars on digital socks. It really didn't matter what they were being asked to buy. It could have been anything at all. Socks was just something that they came up with because it sort of matched up with the name of the company, which was Sushi Swap. And so they sold socks. It just sort of made sense that way. But they could have sold them anything and they would have bought it. Another example that I think of, there was one NFT artist. What he did, he took a urinal, like you would find in a public bathroom, took a urinal, put it in his garage, surrounded it with cameras, and then took a sledgehammer to it and destroyed it. Recorded the entire thing on all of these cameras. And every piece of the urinal that broke off, he turned that into an NFT. He made so much money doing that, that he never worked again. Okay. All right, so this is where we come out to so the community
0: aspect. And, I, and I'm i glad you went that because I also see that, you know, people are selling digital art of stuff that isn't very pretty, right? <laughs> and people are buying it for lots of money. So
1: that side of NFT, I would love to understand more. Oh, for sure, it's the community side of it. People, People believe in the hype, you get involved. So just like in the same way that Michael Jackson, when he was alive, you know, and he performed and you would see males and females fainting right. as he's singing to them, you know, that level of fandom. Right. And that still exists for certain certain artists today, right? It's yeah. the same kind of thing uh, where people are so attracted to the arts and the community and everything that's happening that they're willing to spend millions of dollars for something that you and I might look at and think what's the point of that.
0: Interesting, okay. No, I think that's a good place. First to wrap, I think I've asked you enough 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 questions. But in the I end, mean, I could go further, but I think I'll um I'll save some stuff. So I'll probably do some deeper dives in future episodes. You know, this is really good. Jay, I don't know if you have anything. I you mean, know, I've given you open floor, open mic, open platform to say anything that we you want to say that I haven't asked you today.
1: And um, yeah, floor is yours, my friend. Sure. Maybe the one thing that I'd say to people to encourage them to really go ahead and check out and do some additional research into cryptocurrencies, into Web3, is think about where we've come in terms of air travel. So the first commercial air flights where you can go and buy a ticket and get on a plane and go from one city to another, the first time that that happened was in the 1920s. And then by the 1960s, 40 years later, we were landing on the moon. So in 40 years, we went from the first couple of flights to being on the moon. And granted, air travel and space travel, not the same thing, but you can make a line from one to the other. We're very much in the 1920s version of Web3 at the moment. We're in the early stages. If your listeners intend to be around 40 years from now, I'd say that this is one of the things that you need to be paying attention to a whole lot. Because imagine if you could have been one of the persons to own one of the first airline companies, you know what would that mean for you and your family today?
0: Yeah, you know, you're right. And um, I think especially when you're thinking about business and investment, you always want to look at not what are the trends now, but what do you think, will be the trend in the next five, 10 years. You want to get there now. You want to be positioned for that eventually. So come next 10, 12 years, you smiling. Jay, Podmaster Jay. <laughs> it's a Jay Harris. Thank you very much for joining us today. Um, I will ask you to go ahead and plug your
1: social media handles, your websites, your podcasts, which of you want to plug? Sure. So you can find me on social media, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, at Podmaster Jay. Podmaster J, like Jam Master J. <laughs> and you can check out my podcast at the web3podcastnetwork.xyz. Podcast So web3, number three, podcastnetwork.xyz. Right. And uh, looking forward to having some people come in and check out some of what we're doing with Web3. Yeah, man, good stuff. I really, I really like
0: your work. I really respect your work. And um, I think some of the guest stories are really fascinating. All right, Jay. Well, thanks again. Cheers, man. Podcast. Well, there you have Web3 for Business with Podmaster Jay, also known as Jay Harris. Subscribe to The Value at TheValue.show. Check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, CastBox, wherever you listen to your podcast. And be sure to leave us a five-star rating. And with that... We look forward to the next episode of The Value, and until next time, we are out.